The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous supporters. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash donate. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode number 87. I'm a doctor. I've lived for over 2,000 years. I am Scottish. I can complain about things. Shush. Hi, I'm Don Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series Doctor Who, both old and new. See the rhyme there I did there, guys? Uh, yes, I added a little... Uh, you're a poet, but don't know it. Uh, and I really Maybe am not. you do know it. <laughs> I do. I know I'm not. <laughs> uh, today we're discussing the 10th Doctor Christmas special, Runaway Bride. Uh, joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. So uh, we're up to the end of the second season of uh, the new revival of Doctor Who, New Who, as we call it, um, the 10th Doctor. We've just uh, had our first companion uh, departure of New Who. Yeah. And the Doctor is alone. Um, but it's what we've got here is, is we've got a carryover from the end of the previous episode. Um, and at the end of that, just as we had that huge emotional moment where the doctor burned up a son in order to say goodbye to Rose and missed his chance to say, I love you. Um, Through pause. his own fault. Yes, because he's a dummy and yep. did, just kept talking. Just say it. Yeah. <laughs> just say it. <laughs> anyway, uh, I'm not bitter about that. Um, so <laughs> we end the episode as the doctor turns and sees. Catherine Tate, the actress, the the, the famous comic comic actress, Catherine Tate, Donna Noble, standing there in a wedding gown, and he and he utters those the the, the immortal line, "What, what?" Yeah, <laughs> and yeah she I, just, I just want to do that. He types something, happens, I don't understand. I just want to say, "What, what, what?" <laughs> what? And then she does her best, Catherine Tate, which is this sort of outraged harpy sort of thing. <laughs> Where am I? Where the heck is this place? <laughs> And then, yeah. you know, and, and the demanding. And so, um, but but that was how the previous episode ended. This one begins with, actually, uh, Donna in church uh, 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 with the wedding about to begin. Yeah. With so we flash back. Right. Presuma with someone who's presumably her father, who we never see who, again. Who, right. He is her father, and we don't see him again because the actor died. And so oh. that's why that's why we got Wilfred Mott as her grandfather. I get you. Okay. okay. So we, I, I was wondering what the change was, whether they just decided that they preferred Wilfred Mott as opposed to uh, this actor. But I didn't realize he had passed away. That's uh, interesting. Yeah. Um, so, look, you know, so before we get into the episode itself, we'll talk a little bit about the the behind the scenes of this, um, there was apparently this idea that they were going to kind of have these one-off, one-story companions on occasion. And they did this a few times uh, mm -hmm. in between companions. Um, like the, Craig with the 11th Doctor. Right. Uh, Kylie Minogue uh, did one with the, uh, the Titanic in Space Christmas episode, which I think is the next season, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, Usually they did it with, with the Christmas specials. They'd have one-off companions there. Right. Kazdan Sardik would be another one. 
Um, but they even did it a little bit in in episodes of the main series, not just the specials. Right. And then we had um, that the weird non-season that we had at the end of uh, David Tennant's time, which we get mm -hmm. a series of specials. I really annoyed. OK, it's tangent. Really annoyed me when they did this. They did this twice in New Who, where at the end of 10 and the end of 11, we had these sort of specials that don't fit in. And when I was doing my watch, so I didn't watch these seasons. I came late to it. And so I was, right. I was streaming them after the fact. And I'm, I went from the end of the whatever season it was, and season four, I guess it was. And I went to the Christmas special and it starts. I'm like, what? <laughs> I was, I was yeah. taking 10 until like, again. Yeah. I was like, wait, yeah. what happened? I'm, did I miss something? And I had to go back and find it and figure out and go to Wikipedia mm -hmm. and try to figure out what the aura was. It was very confusing. Um, I know we're not supposed, I mean, they're, they're not making these with the thought or they weren't making these with the thought that people would be watching them online years later, but it was very confusing. But so yeah. anyway. The uh, couple other behind the scenes things about this. So by casting Donna, by casting Catherine Tate as Donna Noble, um, we have stunt casting, right. uh, which is when you hire someone who's already famous to to be on your show and bring in ratings. And uh, Doctor Who has done that, not always for ratings purposes, but it's done that for a long time. For example, in uh, the Tom Baker Fourth Doctor story, City of Death, there is a famous appearance by John Cleese. As an art critic in a, or as a patron of an art gallery in, uh, in Paris. Uh, and yeah. he's looking at the TARDIS as if it's an objet d'art and commenting <laughs> on it. And then, oh, yeah. like the doctor and, and, uh, Romana run into it and it dematerializes and he just like says, exquisite. You know? <laughs> and, oh, I can't wait uh, to watch that one. That, that was, yeah. That's a great episode. That's just, that's, that's, uh, that's a, uh, Douglas Adams episode, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Is. So it's yeah. it's com comic. It's comic genius. It it really is. It one of those just hilarious yeah. episodes. That's considered a great one. Also, uh, so Catherine Tate's a famous, as Dom mentioned, a famous comedic actress in Britain, and so she she may be, have been unfamiliar to American audiences, but like she's a familiar face to the original British audience. Mm -hmm. Also, this uh, on a on a writing level, this episode does something. Uh, kind of nice uh, because after every companion departure in New Who, there's a need to grieve for the departing companion. Mm -hmm. And that really wasn't explored as much, nowhere near as much in Old Who, but no. in New Who it is. And so there's a, if, if, if we, the audience are going to be sad for a companion's departure, then the doctor needs to reflect that he needs to be sad too. And since Rose was a popular companion, the doctor needs to be sad. And that gives rise to the question of how do you get him paired up with someone else? How long do you let the sadness go on? How complex is the process right. of bonding with a new companion? And, um, so like when Amy and Rory left, it was a huge ordeal to get a new companion. Right. But here they go in completely the opposite direction. We've just had one of the saddest companion departures of all time. Rather than, and we get a moment of the doctor being really, really sad. And then wham, new companion is forced on him. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and, you know, it, it's it, like you said, it's stunt casting. It's intended to be a one-off, but yet by the end of this episode, as we'll see, 
he's proposing to her to travel with him, uh, which yeah. she doesn't, of course. What is what's, what's fascinating, right at this time, because that's what's fascinating. It was it's intended to be one time, but there's such great chemistry between uh, uh, Catherine Tate and David Tennant that they that they bring her back. They like they they never thought mm-hmm. they could get her to be a regular on the show. But well, that's, such- that's where I wonder. That's where I wonder who approached who. You know, was it the writers of Doctor Who saying, you know, this was a great episode. You guys work well together. Do you want to come? Or did she say, I want to do this more. This was fun. Right. I mean, the, or is kind of a combination of both. I, you know, perhaps when they decided that Martha Jones wasn't going to continue. And we need to get into that at a later point is uh, of, yeah. you know, why Martha only lasted a season, that sort right. of thing. But, uh, you know, at that, that time, you know, did they go back to Catherine, Catherine Tate and said, hey, you know, that worked out so well. Could you could you give us a season? Um, mm-hmm. It was it was, it, you know, it, this is really good. And plus, it's different. It's not. It, yeah, it's not really romantic. I mean, it, there's at the, it's, it's it, there may be a hint at the end, but yeah. really, really, uh, this is going in a very different direction than Rose. Rose was yep. a young woman. She was emotionally dependent on the doctor and she was romantically interested in him and vice versa. Here, Catherine Tate is a mature woman. She's very strong. Yep. She's, in fact, angry at the doctor a lot of the time. <laughs> and she is definitely not romantically interested in him, especially at the beginning. She's romantically interested in her fiance and she wants to get back to the wedding. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I find that refreshing. It's a nice a nice change, because what happens is, is we go into Martha Jones and, you know, for the next season and. And she's sort of Rose part two in, in, eventually, you know, and and I think. I think that was a mistake. And I think that I think maybe the, the Russell T Davies and the other producers realized that by the end of that, that's that third season was what is a, I mean, there were some good episodes in there, but it was sort of a retread essentially uh, as far as companion goes. Only uh, less satisfying because uh, although, um, although Martha was interested in the doctor, the doctor was not interested in Martha. He was still mourning Rose. Yes. Cause that would have been creepy to have him sort of, immediately rebound onto Martha and that created that problem. So I really enjoyed, I, I enjoyed, you know, uh, Catherine Tate in this. I always love her. She's one of my favorite companions cause she's so it's, it, it's just so refreshing to be different. And she kind of evokes a little bit of how, um, eventually, um, River song will kind of treat yeah. the doctor in the sense of, mm-hmm. I'm not all that impressed by you. You know what I mean? Right. Like they, that whole, like, uh, the, she kind of puts him in his place a little bit well, sometimes. You know, the, uh, Donna Noble's interesting because she was very uh, clueless. You know, they kept t- calling her thick. You know, she's yes. dense. <laughs> but she figures the doctor out very quickly. And she right. gets his number very quickly. You know, she knows how to she knows where he's coming from and she knows who he is. You know, and there's that last scene where she says, you know, you, you need to find someone. He says, I don't know. It's like, Cause right. You need you can't be traveling alone. You need to find yeah, someone. It's yeah. he's not good to travel for, for him to, to travel. Stop alone. You. Right. Yeah, exactly. Stop you. And we'll get into that a little bit. Uh, in fact, the 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 chemistry is so good between Catherine Tate and David Tennant that they're actually I don't know if you know this uh, they're they're actually going to be in a new TV series together that's being uh, created right now by um, uh-huh. uh, Bad Wolf Productions, which uh-huh. which is uh, some of the producers from uh, from this era of uh, Doctor Who, and it's going to be let's see, 
It's called the America. It's called Americans, not the Americans. That's a Fox FX series. It's just ended. It's called Americans. It's a scripted comedy drama being written by Catherine Tate, um, which follows a pair of uh, a British people who a couple, British couple who moved to the United States. Oh, I mean, classic fish out of water. I, I'm 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 expecting good things from this uh, mm-hmm. because they're so they're so good together. So that's a, that's something to look forward to. Called yeah. Americans, uh, it's going to be on Sky, I guess. So, um, <clears throat> all right. So, so so a couple notes about the beginning of this show. Yes. So in the flashback, we to the wedding, we see Donna being escorted down the aisle, and then she's teleported up into the TARDIS, and we don't know why. Right. She doesn't know why. The doctor doesn't know why. And we get a, we then review the scene that we watched at the end of the previous episode. Now that we know how she got to the TARDIS. And um, in that scene, David Tennant keeps saying things are impossible. <laughs> right. And it's like, I'm really tired of hearing David Tennant say things are impossible when they just happen. <laughs> yeah, you, can, right. you, you can do that once casually, but it gets old really fast. On the other hand, I really like uh, Donna demanding to know of David Tennant, how many women have you abducted? <laughs> and and the the answer is some yes <laughs> because he originally abducted Ian and Barbara <laughs> right exactly exactly and she finds uh uh I mean the fact is the doctor has taken you know many women as as well as men, some men uh, traveling with him you know he's taking them away and sometimes it's been yeah, he, a bit chaotic actually, in the departure shall we say <laughs> yeah and sometimes it's been actual abduction although not for sexual purposes right right uh, and uh it's in fact in this scene she discovers Rose's um jacket that she's left behind and confronts the doctor with it and he, he doesn't tell her exactly what happened to Rose he just said I lost her um yeah. and uh it's sort of um it, it's it's open to the idea she's dead right but the that it later becomes important that she's not dead and the doctor tells Donna that as a way of gaining her trust right right he doesn't tell her that here he sort of leaves with the impression that uh, she's dead, and so it be, so we have this funny moment that very that then turns very uh, serious very quickly. So um, I find it very uh, another interesting aspect of this is is a phenomenon that seems to crop up very often uh, in the Doctor's Britain, which is fantastic, unexplainable things happen, and people just can't believe that it is. Y- you know, uh, it's that's impossible, sort of the same sort of thing. Um, but they, they've so Donna disappears in a flash of light from walking down the aisle at her wedding and everybody thinks she's pulled off some kind of trick. Like, yeah, it's know, typical of her. Look at me, make me the center of attention thing. <laughs> right, right. Like, which is funny because she's the bride. Of, she's already the center, she of, attention. the center of attention. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it, I, I like that Scully like debunking of the paranormal, though. I mean, that's yeah. that's and there would be a tendency to do that in real life to say oh, this had to be some kind of trick or something. Yes. Yeah. The, like, how could this possibly happen? They, they can't be my eyes have have deceived me sort of denial of the reality um i, I also so we have her mom who we who we will see to the end and uh, we have another mom who's sort of a bit of a battle axe who's sort of a bit of a a testy figure here uh this is, seems to be russell davies mo uh here with parents uh and, and uh we have um also the introduction of 
another minor character, sort of a background character who will who we will see all the way through to the end of uh, the Donna Noble's time with the doctor, right to the end of uh, uh, David Tennant's period as the doctor, which is Nerys or Nerys. I think I always mm-hmm. say it the, in the uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine uh, way. Yeah, Nerys. It's, it's Nerys, but I always want to say it Nerys. Too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But so Nerys is sort of Donna's um, rival of some sort. Uh, they, so her, 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 who's sort of frenemy, I guess they must be, uh, who is, mm-hmm. you know, younger, better looking and, uh, and sort of her rival for, for affections or success or whatever. Uh, and in fact, we see her at uh, Donna's wedding at the end of her time with the doctor. Where the, we, we, so we have this bookend of Donna from the beginning to the end of Donna's quest to get married. <laughs> it's sort mm-hmm. of the, this idea. She needs to get married. She's older. She needs to, you know, find a husband. And eventually she does at the, at the end of her, her time here uh, mm-hmm. with the doctor. Uh, and so, but Neris, Neris is, is sort of a through line with that. I just thought that was funny that they, they kept that character there who apparently, I don't even remember if she ever has a line in, in all. In, I, I in think all she the, has a few lines, but yeah. she like we see her, for example, dancing with Donna's fiance at the wedding reception they've held yes. without Donna there. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So, uh, yes. So uh, she disappears and then they come back and they go through the, all these, these situations to to for her to get back to the wedding because the, the we, TARDIS is ailing for some reason. The Darcy hasn't figured it out yet. And yeah. um they land somewhere in London and need to get back to Chiswick where the wedding is supposed to be. And uh, But the doctor doesn't have any money. And right. so to exploit uh, Catherine Tate's comedic skills, we get a comedy action sequence <laughs> that gets them back to the church. Right. By the way, one thing I wanted to comment on, uh, normally when we have a companion – the one of the first things that happens is the companion goes into the TARDIS and sees how it's bigger on the inside and is amazed at that. Right. Well, this here they subvert that because Donna has been teleported into the TARDIS. She has never seen its outside. Right. And so when she emerges from the TARDIS and realizes it's smaller on the outside we get kind of the inversion of that as she's mm-hmm. walking around it agog, looking at how small it is. Did, did we have someone doing that in the most recent season as well with the, the we, 12th Doctor? Well, we had two variations on it later. Um, in the special where we meet the 19th century version of Clara Oswald, mm-hmm. yeah. she goes into it and sees it's bigger on the inside, then runs outside, runs around it, and comes back in and says, it's smaller on the outside. Right. Um, which is a nice inversion. Then Bill assumes in the beginning of the Peter Capaldi series, assumes that the TARDIS is some kind of elevator or lift <laughs> right. that 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 can. And that's why you can come out of it in a different location than you went into it. Well, and then then you have the the uh, the great scene in the uh, the last Christmas special with the first doctor where Peter Capaldi says, I finally get to do this. Oh yeah, he yeah, yeah, yeah. It up. Wow, it's bigger on the inside. This completely changes my view of the universe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was pretty great. That was a good one. So uh, another another yeah. subversion of the standard trope actually occurred earlier in Tom Baker's era when Sergeant Bill Benton gets to go into the TARDIS for the first time and does not comment. On the fact, or actually, this may oh, be yeah. in the in the in the three doctors earlier than Tom three Baker. Uh, he three he doctors. goes in 
he goes in and doesn't comment and someone says, aren't you going to comment on how it's bigger? And he's, he's like, well, that's obvious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the very grounded Sergeant Benton. <laughs> so uh, we have the, yeah. So they're in this shopping district, uh, the doctor and Donna, uh, and they're trying to get hail a cab and no, no cab will stop for the crazy woman in the wedding dress. Apparently, I don't know why, but apparently they think oh, she's they drunk and drinking. That. They they think she's drunk or they think she's in drag or stuff like that. Yeah, there's yeah. a couple of those. <laughs> so she starts begging people for a, uh, to, to, for a, to borrow $10 in or to borrow a, a phone. And then, uh, well, actually, she, they find a pay phone because this is 2006 or, well, it's filmed in 2006, yep. set in Christmas 2007. Uh, so there's still pay phones, apparently. Uh, and the doctor uses the sonic screwdriver to get her free phone calls. Uh, but, of course, everyone on the other end, their phone is dead. So the doctor goes to an ATM. I like this. So at first he just takes out a bit of money. It's, it's, I think he's stealing it. I, we just have to be honest. Yeah, oh, yeah. he's stealing it. Yeah. But later but on, he's he ends stealing up- it from a bank. So it, is, it doesn't count. He's only a bank <laughs> robber. Exactly. <laughs> I think the doctor has robbed more banks uh, and will rob uh, other banks as well. Um, but uh, then we see the robots from the previous oh. Christmas special. The yeah, Santa, the San- uh, Robo Santa, Killer Santa robots. Ugh, I, and <laughs> this is where it starts to go off the rails for me. Yep, same here. Yeah, the yeah. they, uh, the, the killer Christmas, and later we're going to have killer Christmas trees and Christmas ornaments, and it, it's yeah. I just don't like this. Hey, it worked so well the first you know, time. Let's do it again, it, huh? Right. The Christmas you know, we, imagery we wanna, is okay as background I, I yeah. kind of set dressing, but when you try to make it part of the plot, it it really weakens it for me. Yeah, it's um, I don't understand what the decision was to, to, to kind of reuse this. Uh, was it we had the, the costumes sitting in, you know, in uh, the uh, the costume department and hey, let's just pull them out again. I mean, we just saw the same uh, killer Santas in in the previous Christmas special. Um, it's a weird it's a weird yeah. idea. This is one of these things that, you know, unfortunately, sometimes writers get their pet ideas that they just love. They just got to have these ideas. And I get the feeling this is one of them where, oh, this worked so great last time. Mind you, no one actually liked it except the writers. But, hey, this worked (laughs) great last time. Let's do it again. Did they? I think they may have changed the masks of the Santas. Um, I I think they're more standardized this time. Mm -hmm. I may be wrong about that. But, um I thought the masks actually looked a little better, but um, but still, I didn't like the concept. They look quite as plasticky as they did the first year, right? Yeah, I mean, they're apparently the same creatures—the Roboform, pilot fish, sort of things. But they've been taking the Rachnos has taken control of them, is 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 remote controlling them, as opposed to what we had last time. Yeah. Um. But apparently, they come out at Christmas. That's their yeah. And and by the way, to stop them, the you know we mentioned the doctor uh, robbing from the bank. Well, he robs the bank even more. Yes. To create a cash storm that will people will pick up, so that people zoom in to grab all the cash that's spewing out of the machine. As a way, and he does this to protect himself from the killer Santas. So mm-hmm. he's putting other people in the line of 
fire of these killer exactly. Santas. Human shield. Like, yeah, he's, he's human. It's like, man, okay, this is a comedy action sequence, but this is kind of crossing the line here. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, as the kids would say, he makes it rain, you know, with the money flying through the air. Yeah. Um, so Donna gets into the cab that's being driven by one of the robo Santas, and, uh, and the doctor... Uh, gets into the TARDIS and flies it after her. And apparently the, he's, he's not used to flying the TARDIS through air as opposed to just transporting it here, you know, dematerializing it here and there. Um, and so we have, again, we have this another comedy action sequence of him flying the TARDIS up next to the cab and getting convinced. Crashing into things yes. and stuff. Yeah. And it's actually very dramatic. I like this. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we also have a car with kids yes. that are watching it. And we, the kid, we never hear the kids, but we see their reactions. And when the, like at one point, the doctor is trying to rescue Donna by having her leap from the cab into the TARDIS. And we see the kids are all wrapped up in it. And we see their mouths going, jump, jump, jump. <laughs> jump. And, and then when she finally does and is safe aboard the TARDIS, the kids are like waving their arms and cheering. And it's, yep. it's nice. Well, that, it's, was, yeah, it, that was pretty clever. It's an effective storytelling technique because a it the kids are the the uh, audience surrogate in this situation, yeah. but Watching also through a screen, yeah, right. Yeah. But and also we many of us remember uh, as children riding in the back of cars, especially those of us of a certain age. I don't think kids get to do this anymore, but sort of riding in the back of the car, looking out the back window at the traffic behind us, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and and sort of creating stories about or or seeing things that our parents never see and you know seeing truck drivers and and doing the the arm pump to get them to toot the horn and that sort of stuff <laughs> i mean i remember doing that uh again again i don't think kids get to do that anymore they're all buckled up uh in seats but uh yeah it was a very effective technique so yeah. they they well, I uh, used to ride in the back of some pickup trucks same here yeah. really can't do that now i've done that too uh, yeah it depends on where you're at let's just put it well there. you can <laughs> in california i'll tell you that yeah. yes There's, yes i still see people you don't see as much of it as you used to but you still see people here at least around town you'll see people in montana definitely still doing that <laughs> Yeah, actually, the last time I was at the family ranch in Texas, uh, my grandmother was driving us around and I was in the to do some work on the farm. And uh, I was in the back of the pickup uh, with the gate down uh, out, oh, yeah. on, out on the road. Yeah. <laughs> yep. so, so I guess that happens. That was as an adult. So. Yes. Yes. Um so the uh, so the they they missed the wedding. It's just it's yeah. too late now. The TARDIS has. Oh, by, by the way, one note on yep. the Santa robot driving the cab. Yep. So at some point, when Donna first gets in the cab, she thinks it's a guy in a Santa suit for the holidays. And then at some point, as she's interacting with him, the hood comes off of the robot, and she can see that something that it's wearing a mask. Right. And and she leaps to the correct but inexplicable conclusion that it's a robot when <laughs> I would look at it and say it's a cosplayer. You know, <laughs> yes, it's, right. it's just a human in a suit, which is what it, in fact, really is in real life. But in the you know, on the narrative level, it's a robot. And how does she know that? <laughs> That's true. That's a good point. She, she makes that leap. And she also makes that other leap, as we were talking about the literal leap, um, that in that moment where you referred to is. Um, you know, he said to trust, you know, when she, he wants her to jump and he says, trust me. And she says, is that what you said to her, your friend referencing Rose, the one you lost? Did she trust you? I mean, that's, that's a hard, that's, that's ouch yeah. <laughs> moment yeah. for there. Yep. 
and the doctor says, yes, she did. And she's not dead. She's so alive. Now jump. And in other words, he's kind of making the point like, yes, she had to trust me. And it, but she's alive. She didn't die from it. Yeah. If, if Donna knew the whole story, she might be less willing to jump even at yeah. this point. Yep. <laughs> but, but she does jump. Uh, she, they make it in. Uh, but they, they've missed the wedding. The TARDIS is now, you know, it, it, something has gone wrong inside. And we have the next scene. They're on the top of a, of a, a building's roof and the doctor's shooting a fire extinguisher inside. And, um, they have this this moment where she's sad about missing the wedding, and um, and she's sitting down in her wedding dress on the roof of a building. It's like that's going to get dirty and stained and torn. <laughs> well, I think at this point she realizes she this, care. this yeah, wedding dress is a lost cause. Um, and, and she's planning on getting married in June. Right, right. Well, he says you can book another date, and and he says you still get the honeymoon. And she says now it's just a holiday. Now it's not a honeymoon; it's a vacation. You know and that sort of thing. Mm. Um, but then she has a line: "I I wish she had a time machine. Then we could go back and get it right." Yeah, with the TARDIS and frame behind them. Yep. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. But he doesn't tell her. Oh, I got one right there. He says, "Well, even if I did, I can't go back on someone's personal timeline." Apparently, he says to yep, yeah. himself. Um, but but this is this great these great. Uh, deprecating moments, not self-deprecating moments, but then when the doctor, like in this this uh, this uh, gentlemanly fashion, takes off his coat and puts it around Donna's shoulders, she's like, <laughs> misogynist. Yeah, <laughs> yes, but she says, "God, you're skinny. This wouldn't fit a rat." <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, like he does such a nice moment, and she's so ungrateful for it. Uh, it's just so funny, and. Uh, so th- this is where we start to get this uh the the, the uh, start to unravel the plot like what's what's going we find out that she met her fiance Lance while temping at a company called H C Clements. Um, he and, made her coffee and he made her coffee and so every uh, day yes <laughs> every that's an important uh, point for later uh, every day yep. and she took that as a romantic gesture and uh, ends up um, she claims that he uh, he badgered her into marrying him. Uh, and then, of yeah, course, through flashbacks, we see it's the other way around. <laughs> she's literally chasing him downstairs, uh, nagging him <laughs> to marry her and uh, wearing him down. Um, and then we find out that H.C. Clements is a security company that makes keys. Oh, keys. And was is owned by Torchwood. Right. The leadership of whom has all vanished as of the Battle of Canary Wharf. Yep. Right. Right. Um has the Torchwood series begun at this point? No. Okay. All right. So uh, that's fine. Okay. So that doesn't enter into this. Um, then we get to the reception uh, where they, they show up and everybody's having a blast. Uh, dancing to what song that we will always hear in, Christmas, in several Christmas specials? Slade's Merry Christmas, everybody. I've pointed this yep. out several times mm-hmm. uh, before that, that yep. they Doctor Who apparently has this affinity for this particular uh, po- modern pop song for Christmas. Uh, so we get that. And um, everybody's having a good time without her. And uh, I, if I were her, I'd be justifiably upset, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so. uh, uh Long story short, yeah. Long story short, the sa- yeah. The Santa robots start to show up. They have a device that allows them to manipulate the balls on the Christmas tree that causes them to float and then start missing people, but nonetheless slamming into things and exploding. Yeah, right. So uh, another killer Christmas tree. Thank you, Russell T. Davies. <laughs> right. Exactly. A couple of things that happen in this, even before the Christmas trees, a little bit. But the the doctor borrows someone's flip phone. 
and he uses mm-hmm, yeah. WAP. Remember WAP web access protocol and old flip phones to access a <laughs> web pages using that tiny screen in the in the ten key. Oh. oh my gosh, that was that was painful just to watch it again. Uh, but yes. he he does the research on uh, uh, H.C. Clements. Um, but then we see this weird scene, and I don't know if you guys thought this was weird. I thought this was this odd moment where the doctor sort of he sees someone a, a blonde woman dancing on. Um, uh, on the dance floor with some guy, and he has this this maudlin flashback to dance to. It wasn't dancing with Rose, but kind of what was it? The flashback to some other to a previous episode, and uh, mm-hmm. with Rose. And I'm like, do we really need a a a, a, a maudlin doctor? I mean, we know he's sad. We know he's missing Rose, but that it just seemed I don't know out of place. Well, it it it's a it's a it's a judgment call on the writing level because of how much do you show um of his internal thoughts in that regard because if if you show too little the fans will complain that you've subverted the sadness of the ending. If you show too much they'll complain you're dwelling on it overly much. Okay. And so it's kind of a judgment call and I can I can understand you know, as like as someone who's lost a spouse because my wife died, going to weddings has a little, you know, yeah. as kind of a different effect on me than it does other people. OK, I, I can see that. All right. I see. I mean, it has a bit of verisimilitude, which is that someone, you know, who he's just I mean, this loss was less than a 24 hours ago by mm-hmm. by his timeline. So, yeah, it would still be very fresh. Um and and by the way, during this, we have a this song, which is apparently a song that was custom made for this episode, yeah. that song that they're dancing to. Uh, and the, the lyric is, you took me in, you stole my heart. I cannot roam no more because love, it stays within you. It doesn't wash up on a shore. Then a fighting man forgets each cut, each knock, each bruise, each fall. But a fighting man cannot forget. Uh, so sort of a little bit on the nose there uh, with the, uh, the, yeah. the lyrics. Um, and he's, so uh, we get the, the, uh, the, the Roboform Santas show up. Uh, we, we, well, we find out the doctor discovers that the, that uh, the glowing within Don is not just uh, the glow of a bride, but the Huon right. energy that uh, he, he says, which is once again is impossible, <laughs> impossible, right? Because, because it hasn't it, existed it, for billions of years. Not since the dark times. Right. Which, um, which we've heard of before, as early as Classic Who, we learned that there were, in the early period of the universe, there were the dark times where various monsters lived, including vampires and things like that. Right. And uh, the Rachnos, apparently. And the Rachnos now. Uh, so, uh, and and as he discovers, he had given her, her uh, Donna, this ring that would be, that was a, a bio damper to prevent the- To keep the Santas from tracking her. Right. Uh, and then he realizes that the uh, Huon energy is so old that it, the bio damper doesn't work on it. Back, I guess it's not backwards compatible. Um, yeah, it's sort of the Windows uh, XP of things or something. I don't know how you whether you want to say that or not, but uh, uh, it's probably not accurate. Uh, so uh, they they escape from the the exploding Christmas. Uh, ornaments and whatnot um and the doctor at at least they had the killer christmas tree work differently this time it didn't spin around and slash people with its blades yes uh yes and uh the doctor defeats them by going to the dj table and taunts them by saying if you're going to fight a man with a sonic screwdriver don't leave him standing by the sound system or something and he uses the 
yep. the speakers to blast yeah. them. And and for once, the sonicness of the sonic screwdriver actually means something. <laughs> right, right. Last week we talked about the uh, the sonic screwdriver actually working as a screwdriver. This time we actually have it working as a sonic thing. Device. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, so the doctor kind of traces the signal the the remote control, which is I think an Xbox controller. I don't know if I'm if my uh, my video game. Well, I was trying to figure out if that was an Xbox or was that like an N64. <laughs> oh, maybe it was no. the N64. Uh, my, it looked my, like a Nintendo 64 uh, adjusted. You know? Yes. Both, both of y'all have better Game Boy mojo than I do. So <laughs> yeah, right, right. Well, well, that's about the limit of my video game console uh, uh, knowledge. So uh, they tra- he traces it to the to to space, and we find this. Uh, the, the spider at the center of this web of uh, plot, which is literally a spider at the center of a web, uh, yeah. a spaceship shaped like a star. Um, a Christmas star. A Christmas. Get it? Yes. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> at one point, uh, I got to say, at one point here, Donna makes a reference to she thinks it might be dinosaurs under the earth, um, which is kind of funny because that's the Silurians, <laughs> the dinosaurs yeah. under the earth. Uh, let's you know, let's skip ahead. They, they grab Lance. They go to the. Um, H.C. Clements, uh, they go underneath Under the building it. to a to a sub basement that's not on the plans, of course, um, and they discover this facility. That, yeah, that's yeah. that's using it's a sort of a lab that's using the water of the Thames to create Huon particles somehow, um, and that Donna has been dosed with them, and she's being used as a catalyzer for the particles. And and consequently, that's why she appeared in the TARDIS, because it also uses Huon particles for some internal function. And she was effectively magnetized to it by them. Right. Because of um, the, the stress and hormones of the wedding day. He says, yeah. you know, that was sort of, that was the unexpected result of that. Um, yeah. Also, we meet uh, the awful spider monster, the Queen Empress of the Rachnos. <laughs> yes. And I like I, I like the fact that she's got more, you know, th- really the body form isn't that bad of this monster. Um, and I, it's kind of like a centaur spider. It's like the top half of a human and the bottom half of a giant spider. Yeah. And it's all red and icky looking. And they've created uh, a head mask for the actress that has these additional eyes like a spider would and mm-hmm. so she's got like two human eyes but six other eyes that are just yep. black yeah and just like her human eyes blink we occasionally see the other eyes blink as well which is nice what i don't know is why they aren't all human eyes or all black eyes right um but it's still a it's nice makeup um what's bad about it is like a lot of monster costumes, <clears throat> the uh, prosthetics are so intense, including like fangs that she's got, right. that it interferes with her ability to act. It's and so she can't cannot convey subtle emotions. She constantly sounds like she's got a mouthful of spit. Yeah. And she's got to over emote everything and be this yep. over the top character caricature of a villain. Right. Right, I was going to say that. Yeah, it's just there's there can be no subtlety in her performance because of the costume, and that's always a sign of a of a not a good costume because it it, yeah. it interferes with the actor. Um, also, she knows way too much about Christmas and human <laughs> customs. I mean, she yeah. she 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 like at one point is uh, talking. She makes uh, 
we, we find out in this scene or in this sequence that Donna's fiance has been manipulating her the whole time. He's right. on the side of the Ragnos. Right. And is, he's he, the only way he could maintain contact with Donna to keep dosing her with the Huon particles was by agreeing to marry her. So this has all been a setup. Donna's dreams of marriage are shattered. And nevertheless, the Ragnos Empress makes them, as they're stuck in her web, makes them go through with a quasi-marriage ceremony saying, I do. Right. And it's like, this creature knows way too much about human society. Yeah, she's apparently been... Well, if you think about it, because of what we learned about why she's interested in Earth, she must have been observing Earth for a period, for a long period of time. Yeah. You know, right. So maybe that she's, she's sort of become an expert on Earth in that fashion. Uh, there's a couple of things that come up in this this again this sequence. Um, uh, there's this fun moment where they're riding uh, segways through the tunnels mm -hmm. under mm -hmm. under yeah. London. So that was kind of funny. Um, Comedically, fun. yeah, yeah, yeah. The Doctor and Donna uh, have a lot of fun with that. Uh, there's a there's a line where the they they the Doctor goes up this the shaft and it finds out that it leads to the uh, flood control stations on the Thames, and, uh, she, and Donna says, "What? There's a." There's like a secret base hidden underneath a major London landmark. And the doctor's like, oh, apparently. So what What was that joke based on? Was there was there, there a previous one? There, I, there have been. I'm not remembering specifically. I can think of later ones. Like okay. the Tower of London has um, – has a, has has its secret unit base under it, and right. in once the Torchwood series mm -hmm. starts, Torchwood is under a monument or a famous place in Wales. Oh, Canary Wharf. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, Canarywood itself being in Canary Wharf. Yeah. Right. Okay. All right. I guess that's well, the, that's probably yeah. the most immediate reference. Yeah. Well, and then you get in rows where the uh, the Atons were based out of underneath the the eye. The, the giant <laughs> right, right, the London Eye. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. true. That's true. So there have been several recent ones. So are the Ragnos new to this episode? Yes. Is this that we haven't seen them at all in Classic Who? Okay. I have not seen them before. Uh, I came across a, a fun little tidbit. It's not really important, but it's a little bit of trivia. The actress who plays the Empress of the Ragnos is her name is Sarah Parrish. In 2006, when they filmed this, was in a movie with Peter Capaldi called After oh. Sun, you know, which is kind of a funny little. I mean, it's the maybe the the acting community in in Britain is not that large, and so this it's not as it's not yeah. So it's uh, whatever. But I just thought it was a funny thing to come across. Um, so Lance is a giant horse's patoot. I mean, he yeah. is the biggest jerk ever, and apparently he did this. To see the universe that the Rakdos mm -hmm. promised him you would get to see, which is kind of funny when you think about it, because this is he would be essentially a companion. You know, he's mm -hmm. sort of like the evil version of companions. Um, and so I just thought that was a funny uh, juxtaposition there. Um, <clears throat> so the doctor and Donna, they they're this in this lair, they, there's this giant borehole yeah. that goes to. The, yes, it goes to the center of the earth, uh, apparently avoids all of the magma that makes up 90 percent of the earth. Yeah. Just um, like we saw in the Satan pit exactly. recently. Well, maybe that wasn't an active planet. But yes, it is, but yeah, that was yet another borehole that goes to the center of a planet. Um, with something bad at the bottom of it. Right. Um, and yet another, uh, maybe a deep-seated uh, 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 sociological phenomenon or psychological phenomenon for, for, for people. And that's fine, but this that was like three episodes ago. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> 
So they go back to the beginning of time, essentially to the beginning of the solar system, and they discover that the the Earth was created by the Rachnos flying a ship into our solar system, and then all of the dust and rocks being the catalyst that that creates the Earth. So yeah. let me get this they straight. Were- so we have an Earth. The Earth was created by the Rachnos. The Moon is a giant dragon's egg. Is there anything about humanity's home that is natural? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I think the implication is the Earth would have formed anyway, but the yeah. the Rachnos catalyzed it by being having the having a massive object that then the other things gathered around. Okay. Um the other planetesimals, you know, gravitationally were drawn to it to form the earth. And and that's an interesting idea. It also explains why they've got to burrow down to the center of the earth um to get the baby rachnos, you know, embryos that are down there that are hatching. Um and uh, and and the reason, by the way, the Rachnos did all this billions of years ago when Huon Energy was still in use is um, that they were hiding out from an alliance of races that were exterminating them. Right. Including and apparently the Gallifreyans. The time. Yeah. Um, so so that explains why they're all down there. And the queen wants to relaunch the Rachnos empire. And so she needs the Huon energy for reasons to enable the <laughs> the baby Rachnos to climb up and it's, flourish it's like a, and like a stop. jump start, you know, jump starting your car. That's kind of yeah. the way I kind of got it. It's like jump starting the ship yeah. so they could be revitalized and come, come right. up, I guess. So the doctor uses the Huon energy. So the, the so in, in the beginning of the episode, Donna, the, the this magnetizer Huon energy is drawn through space to the, the TARDIS. Uh, she's transmitted to the TARDIS, and so he says, you know, when when they're in the, the presence of the of the Empress and they're about to be shot, um, that uh, it works in reverse. So he brings the TARDIS to Donna around her. And that's how they escape to go back. Yeah. And they go back in uh, uh, four and a half billion years. Um, And then uh, she, the the queen, the empress brings the TARDIS back to that location. But the doctor subverts her by using the uh, uh, tribophysical waveform macrokinetic extrapolator (laughs) from Boomtown. Glad glad he had one of those. (laughs) Yes. To jump sideways into the corridor. And apparently he uses this a couple of times uh, in, this, uh, in the next couple of se- seasons. Um, uh, I thought it was interesting. There's a, a TARDIS coral growing on it. What is mm-hmm. that? What, is, that a, is that a classic Who thing? No, it's New Who. Um, uh, we, TARDIS was never seen or coral was never seen in the TARDIS until New Who when they changed, when they introduced Christopher Eccleston's doctor, all of a sudden we had these big coral-like structures in the console room. Okay. And they they are eventually going to explain the doctor's already mentioned that TARDISes are grown. Yeah. And eventually they're going to reveal they're grown from TARDIS coral. Okay. Okay. I think I remember that now. Um so uh we get the the web ship is descending from space. Of course it looks like a Christmas star and people yeah. you know, and so yet another Christmas is ruined by a spaceship blasting London. I mean, the people are gonna stop celebrating Christmas in London uh, at some point. Um 
which actually yeah, I think happens. Goals are going to go for a holiday. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. London, London is England's Tokyo in terms of giant thing attacks. <laughs> exactly. <Yep>. Exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. Actually, we, later on, we do get that where people, uh, we have a Christmas special, the, uh, the, the, the doctor in the wardrobe, the, the doctor, the, the line in which the wardrobe, wardrobe. ripoff. Yeah. yeah. Where people get out of London for Christmas because of, you know, all the Christmas problems. Mm-hmm. Um, Lance gets his poetic end as he's dropped in to be food for the spiders. Um, we find out that the doctor's pockets are bigger on the inside. He is apparently wearing... Which, yeah, which actually resonates with the way Tom... They never said this, and this is a neat retcon of it. Yeah. But Tom Baker would have amazing amounts of junk in his pockets right. that he would start pulling out. Well, we saw yeah. that in Robot, where he was sitting there talking to the guy of the, the Scientific Research Society... And he's just pulling stuff out and pulling stuff out and pulling <laughs> yeah. stuff out and, you know, pass to the Mars Venus shuttle. You know, <laughs> I, like actually, that. that didn't look weird to me. That was like my pockets most of the time full of stuff. Um, so uh, they he, his solution is to drain the Thames into the 4,000 mile deep tunnel, which is which apparently empties the Thames. It, oh, it drains it so yeah. fast that it doesn't refill from the ocean. Well, it doesn't flow from it flows to the ocean. Um, right. It, it, so it empties right. it from its upstream sources incredibly fast. And obviously, but that the ocean of, com- no fill back in. It might. Not. Well, it might. It, it might flow up. back in. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it apparently happens really fast before any of that re- reflux can happen. Um, and obviously, that amount of water would not. Um, fill a four thousand mile deep chasm. But right. I would assume that if if it all goes down in a big bunch, it'll be like a you know a zone of water that just smashes down and kills all of the innocent sentient Rachnos children. The babies. That's what the doctor just did. Yes. That is a this. That's a disturbing. Way. He exterminates. He's a, exterminates the Rachnos. This is what the doctor does here. Um, yeah, this and, is an act of gen, of both infanticide and genocide. And he has no regrets. Like in fact, he says he sort of has this angry look that scares Donna. That comes up later. Uh, this this sort of intense intensity about it. Um, the, it, I mean, it's another one of those moments where we really get the 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 sense of the alienness of the doctor. Um, mm-hmm. He seems so human most of the time, but there are times like this where we get where we're reminded he is not a human being. He is a time lord. He's not a Martian either. Those are those look different. As he, yeah. she keeps calling him a Martian through this episode. He is a yeah, time I don't lord. See no green, I don't see no green scales on him. He's <laughs> right. not a Martian. Yeah, um, yeah it's very interesting. Um, also, this is apparently the first mention of Gallifrey by name in New Who in this episode. Okay. Uh, so we get that, and that's where the the Empress freaks out when she hears that because she it, she didn't know that he was uh, Time Lord. Its original first mention was in the time of John Pertwee, the Third Doctor. Right, right. And the joke was after they finally named the home of the Time Lords was that uh, nobody knew the Doctor was from Ireland. <laughs> Good Gallifrey, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so uh, the the. Uh, I was going to say, though, the, the hole, you could actually figure out the volume of a 4,000 deep hole. I mean, you could guesstimate how wide that was. And you just, it's a, it's a cylinder. And apparently it's not really hot in the middle from all the magma. So anyway, suspension disbelief. We'll, we'll just move on from yep. that. Um, the, 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 uh, the British government, the British military mobilizes. Uh, they're ready at the ready. They have tanks at the ready on Christmas Day 
to uh, just in case there's a space invasion uh, and the tanks uh, take out the Christmas star ship um, on the orders of Mr. Saxon. Yeah. Uh, this is our first mention of uh, of Harold Saxon in, in passing, uh, who is I, apparently I, already prime minister. I think he may have been mentioned once before, but it was another one of these very brief things. This is more prominent. Right. It's yeah, it's yeah. we get the sense that this is uh, some the, the person in charge. Um, and then we have that scene at the end. Oh, where the, Also, by the yeah. way, it's nice to see human weapons being effective <laughs> against an alien exactly. technology. <laughs> right. Yes. You shoot a nice, uh, uh, was how big is it? 105 millimeter shell at a at a alien spaceship. It's going to do some damage. Although they apparently were missing a lot of them. I don't know where all those mm-hmm. uh, tank shells were landing, but they were. Yeah, they were yeah, you exactly. guys in range finding school. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I hate to be the people uh, around that. Uh, neighborhood where those were missing um so uh we have this final scene which which is echoed again i gotta point out again at the at the end of donna's time with the doctor after the end of her season this scene where standing outside of the house and the you know saying goodbye she invites him in for christmas dinner and he says i'm just gonna go park the the tardis and she realizes she knows he's, he's running off he's running off um he invites her to go and she says no, which is, you know, kind of surprising um, because he scares her. And that's an interesting moment. Um, it's probably very sensible at this point, mm-hmm. especially. Yeah. Um, and the doc- yeah, he, he given the number of sentient creatures he just killed and doesn't care. It, she She's dead right saying you need someone to stop you. Right. In, in fact, she says that, uh, the, right, the, you know, you need someone to stop you sometimes. Uh, and we see that with again well, later on. We we'll see that with Peter Capaldi uh, after the the twelfth Doctor's regeneration, he refers to Clara as the person who cares for him. Like she's she's my carer. She's she's mm-hmm. the one who cares uh, about uh, about others and and stops them from doing things. Um, and so uh, so you know, is it is it true? Does the Doctor need companions to to keep him on the path? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, we we, do we <laughs> I guess we see evidence of that whenever he's alone, <laughs> traveling alone, things do go awry and for they, him. They really emphasize that in the Matt Smith era, that this mm-hmm. idea that he that he needed someone with because you know that was part of the whole issue with Clara, right? She kept saying you know that he'd go travel off on his own without her. That's right, and in fact, uh, when he loses Amy and Rory, the Paternoster gang really kind of points out this whole this whole necessity of the doctor needing somebody to a companion yeah. was it always like this was the doctor always sort of i mean he always had companions but was it a, a need they didn't they didn't explore the need aspect of it in classic who really um i mean he he's he always had them and from that we could infer that he wanted them yeah but the the idea that he would turn self-destructive or become a danger to himself and others without companions wasn't something they went into. Okay. Interesting. I mean, we could I'm say that's sort of the evolution. In, I'm just trying to think in classic who, who was there ever really a time when the doctor didn't have companions? Very briefly. Um, like when he would be returned, like it, for example, after uh, Sarah Jane Smith, he would, he briefly didn't have a companion during uh, his visit to Gallifrey which was what prompted 
um, his, Sarah Jane's departure was he got a summons to Gallifrey. And right. so and similarly, um, there was a period very again, very briefly where after he was forced to regenerate from being the second doctor into John Pertwee's right. doctor, right. he he didn't have a companion initially. Um, but so but there, at most, but at most, it was like a companion left at one episode, and the next episode he would have a new companion or a couple or, episodes. Or, yeah, at least by the next, no more than a gap of one story. Yeah. Yep. So you had like the episodes of the Deadly Assassin, but on Gallifrey before he got Leela as a companion in the face of evil. Um, the uh, there was though a at that very point. Uh, a question in Tom Baker's mind of, did you need a companion? And he actually wanted to have no companion mm. and just go along and talk to himself for exposition. Right. And he even like floated the idea of having a talking cabbage as a companion. Um, <laughs> but they said, no, we want a companion as an audience surrogate. So you're getting one. Yeah. And she's going to be clad in a really cool little leather outfit. As a <laughs> yeah. warrior, warrior woman. <laughs> was that Leela? That was Leela. Okay. They wanted her they wanted the next companion to have what they referred to as dad appeal. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea what that means. Uh that that's uh, okay. I I'm looking forward to watching those though to see what it means. Um <laughs> sure. Yep. Uh so I guess I mean so is there anything else you want to say about this episode? I mean, I, I have to say, I, I apart from the recycling of the RoboForm Santas, um, I really enjoyed this this because of that connection between Donna and the Doctor and, and how yeah. that eventually, I mean, everyone apparently saw it and they said, you know, well, when we can get her, let's bring her in or whatever, or or that became the catalyst for that. But uh, anything left to say? Two, two, two comments I have. One is, uh, you know, the flip side of comedy is tragedy and comedic characters have the capacity to, to be really effectively sad. You know, you look at like um, Charlie Chaplin's The Little Tramp yep. is both hil hilarious and sad. And we see uh, the same thing here with Donna, because even though she functions primarily as a comedic character, it's genuinely sad. When she realizes her her fiance has betrayed her, and we see her crying, right? Um, so I liked that. That was effective emotional acting. It was really not effective emotional acting when the Spider Queen at the end, as her babies are being killed, is writhing around with an open mouth, shrieking. <laughs> yeah. So it just goes on for too long. And even though it's understandable, she would have a bad reaction to that. This just is poorly realized on screen. It's like the Wicked Witch of the West. What a world. What a world. Yeah. yeah. Only worse. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Father Corey, any, any last thoughts on this episode or? You know, again, just that, that last scene uh, with Donna where she's not a, she's so clear on who the doctor is on, on, and just that I thought that was probably the one of the most effective scenes in the entire, entire series that she, for, for a person so thick, she really caught who <laughs> right. it was. Yeah. And, and that's part of the thing with Donna. She's really not thick. She's right. just coming from a social class and an educational background that causes her to be underestimated. Well, well this and, and there, there is kind of the, on, the ongoing, joke about how she misses everything right 
Well, this you know, a, giant spaceship in the sky. I was in Spain, or no, where was it? I, I was, I was hung in, over. I was yeah, hung yeah. over. Cybermen. I was in Spain. There were Cybermen in Spain. <laughs> yeah, you didn't yeah. see the news. Scuba diving. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, and that's the thing is it sort of plays off this idea of a certain class of uh, you know social class of people who kind of they kind of just go through life not really paying attention to the world beyond their very small circle. Um, and I think that's kind of the idea that 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 Donna is in. Yeah. And as we really, see here, she, she's like a grown up version of Rose almost. She's you yeah. know lower class and stuff. She's kind of a contemporary of Jackie. And they even both have kind of that cougar aspect. Yeah, there's a little bit mm-hmm. there. Yeah. And whereas, uh, again, Martha Jones comes from actually an upper class sort of she's a doctor. You know, that's yeah. where we're going to next. So there's that contrast there um, that we're going to see. So and that's where we're going next. We we get we got some previews of uh, what's coming up from Martha Jones. Uh, some there's some really effective episodes in the in the coming season. Um, a few uh, we're going to see Mark Gaddis acting uh, coming up in the, in the next couple episodes. So um, and uh, so it'll be it'll be, uh, you know, we'll be getting into that soon. And uh, and uh, that'll be fun to to explore those. So I think that's it from us. Uh, so uh, folks, if, if you could, uh, again, we've, we've kind of said this before, if you've enjoyed secrets of Doctor Who, if you've enjoyed this episode, please share it. Uh, could you write a tweet about it uh, in link to the, to the page on sqpn.com or on Facebook or yeah, write, write, uh, share it on Facebook, uh, leave a comment on, on Facebook or on, uh, you know, re- reply to on Twitter. If you could write us a review on iTunes or any of those things, share it with people who, who you know, like Dr. Who and might enjoy uh, our discussion of it. Cause that's why we do this. We want to share, uh, our insights and our, with, with folks and, and create a conversation. Frankly, we'd like yeah. to hear from yeah. you. Let us know what you think about what we have to say. Do you think we're right on? Do you think we're totally off base? Let us yeah. know. Or if you've got an insight that we haven't had, we'd love to hear it. So uh, so visit sqpn.com uh, or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page, and you can leave feedback there uh, on the particular episode. Uh, you could also send us an email to Who at sqpn.com. You can find links to all of our personal social media and websites on our show notes, show notes on sqpn.com. Uh, we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the fifth Doctor story for To Doomsday. Uh, until then, uh, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me in sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. Oh, thank you, Dom. Uh, Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thanks, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening. And remember, this time it's personnel. When will I see you again? Uh, soon, I expect. Or later. One of those.